What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Okay, here's the thing. I don't love Thanksgiving food. Right? <laughs> what is good about it? <laughs> I'm so with you. Okay, Bob here, hopping in while I'm editing. This is the first time I'm hearing this because I had some technical difficulties and couldn't record with the both of them. In defense of Thanksgiving food, stuffing is incredible, sweet potatoes are outstanding, and a properly cooked turkey is very, very good. If none of that tastes good, I'm going to offend some people here. Your cook is bad. Back to the episode. I don't love it. I... I mean, honestly, the appetizers are my favorite. The rolls are my favorite. I don't love turkey. I don't love mashed potatoes. And one year I got sick after eating sweet potatoes. So those are out. I can't do them anymore. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we're highlighting conversations with four amazing women in water on their career journeys, women in leadership, diversity in the workplace, the role of mentorship, and more. Plus, the women share advice for young professionals entering the water industry. For this episode, I interviewed Mariana Sparopoulos, a member of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Chicago's Board of Commissioners. Lauren spoke with Savan Zamir, Senior Director of Xylem's Innovation Labs, and Bob spoke with Felicia James, Associate Vice President and Asset Management Lead for Carrillo Engineers, and Haley Goddard, Project Engineer and Young Professionals Facilitator for Carrillo Engineers. The format of this month's episode is a little bit different than our usual episode format because these four stellar interviews are so lengthy and exciting. We did cut out the news section this month and we're taking you straight into those interviews but stay tuned for our regular programming in future episodes. And then a quick FYI, if you love this episode, next year we'll be doing our Women of Water episode in March to tie in with Women's History Month. So please feel free to send us some notes, ideas, feedback at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. And now I'll pass it back to Katie to introduce us to our first interview. Yeah, without further ado, here is that first interview where I spoke with Mariana Skropoulos, again, a member of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago's Board of Commissioners, where we talk about her career and so much more. So here you go. Welcome to Talking Underwater. I am Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions, and today I am joined by Mariana Sparopoulos, who has been a member of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago's Board of Commissioners since 2010. Earlier this year, Mariana also served as chairperson for the Third International Water and Waste Management Conference and Expo, and is a long-standing advocate for increased investment in our country's water infrastructure. So, Mariana, thanks so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, of course. So, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in this industry and a little bit about your career? Um, yeah. Um, I uh, was initially interested in in the environment in general. Um, I think as a lot of people are, um, but water plays such a critical role, um, especially here in the Midwest. So I live in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, 
And we're right next to 20% of the world's fresh water, right in our backyard. Um, so it always plays a huge role um, in our lives. Um, and, and obviously, um, you know, we can't go very long without water. So um, that was my initial like interest. And this agency, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, is uh, plays a critical role uh, in the health of our community. Um, we treat wastewater and we manage stormwater. But the agency was initially created back in the 1800s to protect our water supply. This is the agency that reversed the flow of the Chicago River in order to prevent waste from going into Lake Michigan, which was the source of everyone's drinking water back then as it is today. So um, I've been able to find this role as commissioner um, being very important um, to be part of this team to protect our water environment when water is playing such a critical role in our world today. Yeah, absolutely. And so as in your role as commissioner, what are some of your duties? What Can you kind of give us a little bit of background on that? Yes. Um, just to sort of put it in perspective, um, let me give you a little detail about the agency itself. So we are a countywide agency, which means our jurisdiction is the city of Chicago, as well as 125 surrounding communities. And what we do is, like I mentioned, we treat wastewater and we manage stormwater. We treat wastewater through seven treatment plants throughout the county, and we manage stormwater through the Deep Tunnel Project, which is literally a tunnel of 109 miles of intersecting tunnels and three reservoirs that hold the overflow uh, from the sewer system when we have heavy rains. Now, we have about 1,800 employees that do the day-to-day -day operations, and we have a board of nine commissioners. I'm one of those commissioners. And the commissioners are elected countywide. Um, and so, uh, you know, throughout the years, uh, we've had a variety of people on the board. I happen to be an attorney with an MBA, so I, I'm bringing that legal and business experience with me um, uh, uh, to the board. Fiscal responsibility, transparency, and environmental progressive policies are, are sort of the mainstays of my public service. Um, and we've had other people um, on the board as, as teachers, as engineers, and we set the policy for the agency. We pass a budget and we approve contracts um, uh, at the agency as well. Okay, awesome. And so I know you just mentioned that you have a background as an attorney and you have an, an MBA. So did you ever expect to be a commissioner for MWRG? No, not initially. Um, when I went to um, uh, law school, uh, I had originally worked as a prosecutor uh, for uh, a few years. Um, and then I opened my own law practice. Um, but I've always been interested in government. I've always been, you know, I've always been involved in various groups um, in the community, um, you know, helping, uh, giving back. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the product of an immigrant background. My parents came over to the United States and it was always um, taught to uh, me that, you know, you should give back because, you know, this great country has given us so much. Um, it's important to give back. So I eventually um, determined that this would be a great way to blend my interest in the environment as well as that giving back um, uh, philosophy and, uh, you know, about a little over 10 years ago, I decided to, to run for public office. So it wasn't initially 
um, part of the plan, um, but it's certainly a very satisfying part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so were there any, um, you know, big challenges you faced that, you know, in the long run helped get you where you are today? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think in everyone's career path, there, there are challenges. Um, because my role is an elected role, um, you know, you, you basically have to campaign, you have to go out in the community and that takes a little bit of, um, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's not an easy thing to do. And, um, my name is, I've been told not necessarily a ballot friendly name. It's a little, little tough to pronounce. Um, but having uh, done this for 10 years now, I've been working hard to make sure that, you know, the name becomes something that, you know, people are aware of and they've heard before. Um, so, you know, other than the challenges of hard work, um, I haven't, uh, I'm not going to say that, you know, it's been, it's been that, uh, it's been that tough because hard work is, is something that I'm used to. Um, as I mentioned before, my parents are immigrants. They worked hard. They worked six days a week their whole life. So I'm used to that. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of tying this back to our episode theme, which is women in water, you know, how has it been being a woman in this industry for you? And has that posed any specific challenges? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, you know, there are challenges uh, for women in the industry um, who are engineers. Um, I hosted a, uh, I was the chairperson for a international water conference earlier this year. It was a virtual conference and it was held on two platforms, one in the United States and one in India. And one of our uh, conversations, one of our panel discussions was women in water. And it was on a very uh, global, um, uh, you know, perspective. And, you know, many countries um, don't attract women to the water sector because, you know, prevailing social norms in some countries are the technical jobs are, you know, inappropriate mm -hmm. for women. Um, right. uh, you know, we in the United States know um, that, you know, we need to push for more women in those sectors. So, I mean, something that utilities can do is outreach programs for schools or sponsoring scholarships for women um, to encourage that hiring process. Another thing would be like gender, gender neutral job descriptions or gender balanced hiring panels, um, you know, when, when they're talking to, to women. So these are some of the things that we talked about because I think that, that you know, for the more technical component of what we do, because at the Water Reclamation District, we do have a lot of engineers. Um, the head of our, our engineering is a woman, um, but we do, uh, you know, we have a lot of work that we have to do um, in that sector. Um, you know, 25% of our workforce at the Water Reclamation District are women, but we do certainly need more. Uh, the head of our mm -hmm. Treasury Department, head of our Stormwater Management is a woman, head of our HR procurement are all women. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the norm. Um, you know, right. we've got a lot to do, a lot of work to do. Women make up 50% of the population. And I would argue that, you know, women have a major stake in water matters and, and have to be part of the decision-making process. So it was a really fascinating topic um, to talk about on this panel. And I, I certainly think, um, like I said, we have, a, we've got a lot of work we got to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a lot to unpack there too. But one of the things I want to touch on now, you mentioned, you know, doing public outreach and, and having that education of, of getting more women and, and younger girls interested in these topics. And you also mentioned earlier how as an elected official, that public outreach is, is also important. So what is the overlap like there and how important is, you know, education to people not only about these water-related jobs, but also just about the water industry in general? Oh, I think that that's, that's critical. Um, I can say from, you know, the, the region that, that um, I'm operating in, which is, you know, in the Chicago land area, um, mm-hmm. we take water for granted um, oftentimes here. So, um, you know, we've got, like I said, 20% of the world's fresh water in our backyard. We've got incredible rain, you know, rain events that we have. So people think that rain is oftentimes plentiful. Uh, we don't really need to worry about it. Um, so from the educational um, component, we have a lot of work to do to reach out to the public to not only tell them uh, what's going on at our agency, but what's happening in the region, but how they can play a role in that. Um, with regards to outreach um, in terms of education, we have a lot of outreach to uh, schools that uh, focus on STEM careers, um, and we have internship programs to try to, to bring, um, you know, kids that are in college in to the agency to see what we do. Um, I just spoke to uh, a group, Project Sincere, on Saturday, and they are a group to, to, that's focusing on bringing, um, uh, you know, girls, minorities into the field. Um, and, you know, we, we still have a lot of work to do. We, it feels like it's starting to get momentum, um, that people are considering uh, these types of jobs um, and this kind of industry to get involved in. But um, with climate change and with green jobs and green infrastructure, there's a lot of uh, potential. There's a lot of possibility. There's a lot of innovation that we are doing and that we need to do. Um, that can be really exciting for people to get involved in. Yeah, absolutely. And you also mentioned, uh, well, and one of my next questions is, you know, how important is it for us to invest in water infrastructure? And I also, if you can expand on what you're saying earlier about how women do play a critical role in water infrastructure. So if you can just touch on those two points, that would be great. Sure. So, um, you know, you're right. Infrastructure is key, not only in terms of um, investment, in terms of monetary investment, but also to, in terms of people investment. Um, to mm-hmm. have people enter this field uh, is important. Um, the infrastructure bill that's in Washington right now um, will play yeah. a huge role here. Our agency deals with wastewater, but what we do can affect the drinking water. And so you've probably uh, seen those stories about lead in drinking water. Uh, we right. have a lot of um, lead pipes here in the Chicagoland area. We could use that investment to, to switch over so that we are providing clean water for uh, kids. Um, it's, you know, lead impacts their devel- development. Um, so, so we need that um, investment. And investing in, in kids, investing in um, girls entering uh, the water industry uh, is, is important that we break down those barriers, that we create mentorship for women. Um, because engineering and the water sector is so heavily um, male-dominated, uh, oftentimes there's not um, opportunities or it's not thought to create a mentorship program. 
for women to enter the water sector. Um, you know, universities uh, can also create a pipeline to the water sector um, through mentorship, um, through an emphasis and investment um, in that. And, you know, there's great organizations on a national level, such as NACWA and the Water Environment Federation um, and uh, American Water Works. Uh, all of them have um, a path education um, that are great opportunities for people to explore if they want to enter uh, the water sector. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you touched on another, you touched on mentorship, which every time I talk to, not necessarily just women in the water industry, but kind of anyone in the industry, they talk about how important mentorships are, uh, especially in this field. So have mentorships played a role in your career so far? Well, um, yes. And there's also the component of the political um, side of things because we are elected. Um, right. So I would I would argue that um, mentorship play, should play a role in everybody's uh, career, no matter where they are. Um, I think that it's important to have someone who has is more senior, has experience, um, you know. But all you want, also want to have someone who's an advocate for you, uh, someone else who. Uh, can give you, you know, advice uh, in terms of your career, someone maybe who has been on that path before and give, give you some ideas uh, on where to go um, with your career. Um, so, yeah, mentorship has, has played a, a really important role, not only in terms of the political that I, you know, area which I had mentioned, but also mm -hmm. in terms of the technical side of water, uh, because I'm an attorney, I, I'm not an engineer. Mm -hmm. um, I do seek I do seek out people who are experts um, in terms of the environment, in terms of water, in terms of uh, the technical side of what we do with the water reclamation district for their insights and their um, their guidance. Yeah, absolutely. And then this kind of segues into my last question for you, which is, what advice can you give to young women and others that are kind of just entering the industry and starting their careers? I would definitely um, suggest that uh, uh, young um, uh, young people that want to enter into the water sector um, join some of the organizations, as I mentioned before, such as mm -hmm. NACWA, the Water Environment Federation, American Water um, Works to um, see what kind of educational um, classes they're offering, what kind of panels or, or uh, uh, subcommittees that you can partake in, um, not only for knowledge sharing, but also for um, development um, for your own career. Um, and it also gives you, uh, you know, the networking um, possibility, which is important um, in any industry but specifically in this industry. Definitely. That's great advice. And uh, Mariana, those were all of my questions for you, but is there anything you want to touch on that we haven't already? Um, I would just say that, um, you know, sometimes when, when people are just starting out their careers, maybe they feel discouraged or um, especially during a pandemic, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, to connect with people, we're all feeling a little bit um, disconnected. Um, yeah. 
you know, from things from our normal lives, but um, mm-hmm. to, you know, we hear about like self-care to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, taking care of your families um, and taking time for yourself so that you can um, regroup and make sure that you're connecting with people. Uh, it's not enough just to have your meetings on Zoom or Teams, you know, once a week. You need to actually reach out to people and, and try for deeper connections that way, I think it's it's good for everybody's mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. It's it's easy to sit on Zoom meetings all day, but that human connection is, is just as important, too, outside of that. So such a great point. Um, well, Mariana, thank you so much for sharing all this insight and background about yourself with us. I really appreciate it, and I, I know our audience will, too. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great talking to you. You, too. Have a great rest of your day. Alrighty, thanks so much, Katie and Mariana. We're back and we're going to go right into that next interview where I spoke with Savan Zamir, Senior Director of Silence Innovation Labs, about Savan's journey in the water industry, the role of mentorships, and her thoughts on continuing to promote women into leadership roles in the water industry. So here we go with that interview. Welcome to Talking Underwater. I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products, and I am joined today on the call by Savan Zamir, Senior Director of Xylem's Innovation Lab. So, Savan, thank you for taking the time to chat with the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Welcome to the show today. So this month, the podcast is profiling different women in water. So I want to get your story from you. Tell me about your extensive journey through the water industry, because I know you've worn a lot of different hats. Extensive uh, is one way of describing it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it all started a long time ago. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so if I... By way of training, uh, actually, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer, um, both from undergrad and grad school. I'm a licensed uh, PE or professional engineer uh, here in the United States. And I didn't actually start my career in water. I spent the first part of my career working as a construction manager for large commercial construction projects across California, um, which was really a, an, an incredible experience. Um, I was out in the field with my hard hat on, with my steel-toed boots, the, the whole bit. Uh, And after doing that for a number of years, I decided to move to Israel, which is where my family is originally from. And Israel uh, has a thriving startup ecosystem. It's often given the name uh, Startup Nation because of that. I think the statistic, if I'm not mistaken, is that there's the largest number of startups per capita uh, in Israel at at the moment. And at the same time, Israel is also heralded like a lot of other places um, like Singapore and Australia for its water management practices and culture around water. So kind of serendipitously, I was connected with the founders of a small Jerusalem-based startup that was developing uh, industrial IoT or Internet of Things solutions for the water and wastewater industry. And that was really at a time when IoT wasn't a term that we often used yet. So we were talking more about water and wastewater networks or smart water networks. Um, But in any event, uh, I joined the company as the first full-time employee and I worked to build it from there through several funding rounds and then came back to the U.S. at a certain point to establish uh, the startup's U.S. subsidiary. 
Um, from there, I eventually had the opportunity to co-found and be, C be CEO of my own water technology company related to membranes and desalination. So all in all, I spent a bit over a decade really working on early stage technologies, mostly on the side of data collection and process optimization in the water space. And during that whole time, kind of getting to where I am today with Xylem and Xylem Innovation Labs, uh, I came to understand that innovation is, is a team sport. I love working on teams, whether it was in construction, whether in startups, and across the whole ecosystem, I, I refer to it as a team sport that all different kinds of stakeholders are needed to bring innovation to market. Nobody can do it single-handedly by themselves. So you need the investment community, you need government, municipalities, corporates. And I wanted to try something new and different, uh, take a different approach to bringing those innovative technologies to market from a different vantage point, if you will. Uh, so earlier this year, I joined Xylem, um, which I'm sure a lot of the uh, listeners are aware is one of the largest uh, water technology services uh, company and services companies in the world. And I lead the uh, global corporate innovation team uh, at Xylem. So uh, we're called Xylem Innovation Labs uh, that looks into external startup and technology uh, companies and the entire broader innovation ecosystem globally uh, to identify and to leverage um, new technologies that we as Xylem can bring to market to be a part of solving both local and global water challenges. So yeah, different different hats all over the place, anywhere from uh, construction field engineer to project manager to doing sales, business development, marketing, uh, CEO, now working on the innovation side of a large uh, large corporate. And so far, so good. It's been an incredible experience. I can't believe how casually you just throw out there, oh, yeah, I started up a couple companies, you know, it was casual. I mean, that's a big deal. You you really <laughs> brought a lot of things to market. What what have those experiences been like for you that that learning curve too of just kind of throwing yourself into the deep end with a couple of these things? Uh, deep end is definitely counts as a water pun, which oh. <laughs> I find that we use. I find that we use a lot when we're talking about water. Um, it's it's been phenomenal. Um, I really I love working in the water industry um, because everyone is really vision driven and oriented, and I think as as a result of that, uh, it tends to attract some really kind and interesting people that I get to work with every day and that we all get to work with every day. And then the solutions that we're working on, like those early stage technologies uh, are really life-changing. Um, so what drives me in particular about my work uh, leading Xylem, Xylem Innovation Labs uh, is that over the last decade, like I mentioned, I've been working day out and day, uh, day in and day out on one particular technology, one particular solution at a time. And what's been incredible is that the number of startups and the number of technologies that are being innovated to address those water issues uh, is really growing. I, I'm not sure if exponentially, but I know that uh, we work a lot with Imagine H2O and I actually had the opportunity to bring both of my uh, previous companies through Imagine H2O's programming, their accelerator program. Mm -hmm. And their statistics that they last mentioned to me was that uh, there's been a 10 time increase in the number of applications to their global accelerator program just over the last five years or so. Um, so wow. in all of those different, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. Uh, and, and you're seeing that every day, especially from my vantage point and, and uh, coming from Xylem's perspective, 
there are so many entrepreneurs, so many startups, so many different technologies um, that are being developed right now, which is really inspiring. And it's certainly a challenge. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, it, it's been, it's definitely been a challenge, but what, what drives me is how do you get that technology to the ecosystem? It's right. not just the technology itself. It's actually the people. So I was mentioning, we get to work with a lot of great, kind, wonderful people. Those people have to come together to bring those technologies to market. Yeah, very interesting what you're saying about how uh, there's an increase in innovation and, a, and an environment of innovation happening right now, unlike ever before. So what do you kind of see as drivers behind that? Is it increased consumer awareness of water issues, water's time to shine? What are you kind of seeing as a driver for that innovation? I think a couple of things. Um, the first is from a cultural perspective. Uh, ultimately, we all serve different stakeholders, and at the end of the day, uh, the general public uh, are a, prime, uh, a majority of the stakeholder for municipalities, as well as the uh, folks that ind industrials sell to. Um, so that changing culture around water and also understanding that water change and climate change uh, are one and the same, I think is incredibly uh, important. Uh, when I first started working in yeah. the water industry, people didn't understand what being a water startup entrepreneur was. Uh, I was living in Israel at the time, as I mentioned, I would travel all over the world to meet with different prospective customers and investors and so on. And my friends used to tease me and say uh, that me being a water technology entrepreneur, uh, I'm doing quotes with my fingers here, uh, <laughs> was certainly a great cover for being an undercover secret service agent. Um, so they couldn't even conceive of what that was right. as a profession. And right. so from that to where we are today, uh, where now um, my friends and family will kind of uh, talk me up and say, hey, well, we, we know this person that's working in the water industry. Uh, that's a night and day shift in terms mm -hmm. of culture and understanding of water. Uh, and I think that just a last point there is that with the uh, pandemic for the last couple of years, water has really been highlighted and brought to the forefront uh, when we have all this terminology around essential services and essential workers uh, and getting notes from the California governor. I'm, I'm located here in, in Los Angeles, California, about what critical services are. It really highlights to people. All of a sudden, they had an understanding about where their water is coming from and the people uh, that come together to bring their water um, to them continuously and and safely. So I think, yes, culture is a huge piece of the puzzle there. Thank you for fielding that one-off question. And I have a feeling we could do an entire podcast on what creates a culture of innovation and how to continue to propel that forward. And I'd love to have that chat with you. Um, mm. I want to talk about mentorship now, though, because I know that that has been a huge part of your professional journey, as well as your current day-to-day -day in giving back. So how has mentorship played a role um, for you? Um, do you mentor now? And how does it play a role in elevating women in leadership in general? That is such an important question um, because mentorship, I think sometimes is an ambiguous term in terms of what that particularly means. And so we throw it around all the time. And I really like to break down terminology um, just as an example, I'm an engineer and I have been in the business world for uh, the last 20 years. And so a lot of terminology that gets thrown out around in the business 
business world, I've had to learn to break down and break that down to others as a bridge between the business world and the and the technical world. Business and acumen, uh, business acumen and technical acumen really have to work together hand in hand. And so when people talk about mentorship, I like to practically, actionably talk about how one finds a mentor and pursues a mentor. And it could really be anything. It could be somebody that you speak, you that you hear speak on a panel or that uh, you read an article that they wrote um, that, or you could ask for a reference uh, to somebody that might be able to help mentor you. And you just need to reach out to them, whether it's by email or phone and ask them if they'd be willing to have a cup of coffee, virtual or otherwise, and talk to you about some questions that you might have. And then when you uh, actually talk to them, make sure that you've prepared and that you know who they are and that you have your questions written out. And it's just developing a relationship. It's nothing formal. There's nothing signed. Uh, it's not contractual. Um, it's a relationship between two, two different people that want to help each other because they understand that by supporting each other, they're supporting the entire ecosystem. And, and like I said, generally people in the water industry are really nice and they're wanting to and willing to be mentors. So um, specifically for women, I always suggest for women to be mentored by other women that are in the next stage of their career to help them figure out how they got there. I mentor, I mentor several early stage career women uh, through the Stanford Alumni Network, where I did my master's uh, through the WEF Inflows program, um, and also some women early stage startup CEOs through Techstars. And like I said, I really think it's incumbent on us to give back and to engage in those mentor relationships because I absolutely had incredible mentors throughout my career. Um, for the last couple of years, I've had an inspiring mentor that I connect with uh, quarterly. She's the CEO of a large global industrial company. And it gives me the opportunity to ask ask questions and get straightforward, thoughtful guidance on professional development, on my work and personal life, um, questions that I otherwise wouldn't have the chance uh, or the ability to ask so directly elsewhere. So um, yeah, 100% supporter of mentorship, if that wasn't clear from my very long kind of response there. Yes, yeah. I, I love your first point on mentorship is really going to stick with me, I think, is is that we often throw the word around without a lot of definition around what mentorship can be. And mentorship is also a two-way street, I'm hearing you say as well. It's a mentor's responsibility to give back, but a mentee's responsibility to uh, show up and have thoughtful questions and be ready to engage and propel themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that mentorship relationship can look different different in different instances. Sometimes people collect, connect with mentors monthly, uh, sometimes quarterly, sometimes annually. Sometimes it's an ongoing multi-year relationship. Sometimes it's just a few conversations. Uh, there's nothing, there's no right or wrong in terms of what that relationship looks like. And some of my past mentors are now friends of mine and colleagues. And I would say that overall, I think seeking out a mentor and or acting as a mentor yourself, um, there's nothing but a net positive that can come out of any of that. Yeah. Two more questions from me as we're getting close on our time. I want to ask about, do you see any barriers to women in leadership roles in water? And, and what some of your thoughts are on how to promote more leadership roles for women in water? There are so many <laughs> answers and so many directions that we could take that question. Yes. Um, so I think, I think first and foremost for me, 
uh, was realizing there's always this question around women doing it all. And you read magazine articles about that and uh, newspaper articles and what that actually means. Uh, not everything has to be perfect and not everything can be perfect uh, either in your personal or professional life. And so I think we need to start with ourselves and not have that expectation of ourselves because when you fail, when, not if, when you fail to live up to that impossible expectation, um, you're going to experience burnout. And so burnout um, is definitely a topic that gets spoken a lot about in, in women um, uh, mentorship and, and women in water type um, panels and, and groups, uh, and especially the last couple of years with the pandemic. And so for that, I don't have a solution for everyone. I wish that I did, um, but I don't think any of us do. Um, it's really so personal how you choose to handle those things. And so for myself, uh, two things that I like to talk about that I do personally that are helpful for me, very small, actionable things is first, uh, I take 10 minutes at the end of every day before I stop working to plan out what I'm going to do the next day. And so with that, I mentally am able to leave work to the side and focus my mental energy uh, on my family for the evening. Um, and I'm also able to sleep better, quite honestly, because that's those ideas of what's going to happen next are not stuck on my head. They're on a piece of paper or on my computer um, so that I can pick up the next morning where I left off. And then the second um, is even if it's just 20 minutes, it's really helpful to break up the day to get some vitamin D, to go outside, to breathe some fresh air. Um, so if you need a destination in mind, if you've got a corner coffee shop, walk to the corner coffee shop, grab yourself a cup of coffee and then come home. That's all you really need. And it, it, it's, it's a lifesaver when otherwise you're sitting in front of your computer for the majority of the day. Um, if I can, you know, those are more on a personal level. So as far as when, uh, of what we can do as women leaders uh, to promote other women leaders, I strongly believe it's important to advocate for other women, especially if you're a manager. Uh, personally, things that I do myself is I make sure women aren't talked over in meetings. Well, I make sure it's talked over in meetings, but <laughs> including, including women, uh, since they often get cut off and then won't speak up for themselves. So, um, I also think that it's important to encourage everyone on your team, but women in particular to use uh, your company's resources to move their careers forward. So whether that's continuing education or a mentorship program uh, or whatever that might look like to help them to continue to expand their professional skill set, that's something that you can do as a leader as well. And then last, but definitely not least, because this one's a hard one. Uh, I also make sure that I interview a diverse slate of candidates for the roles that I'm hiring for, which is more difficult than it sounds because yes. you'll get a slate of uh, one type of candidate put in front of you and you actually have to uh, recruit pretty heavily to try to find enough folks to make sure that you're interviewing a diverse slate. And so I won't even move forward to final stages of considering candidates for a new role unless I feel confident that I have a diverse slate that I've, I've at least considered and looked at. And that's something, by the way, referring to your previous question that I learned from my mentor. And so I've made to sure, uh, sure to implement in my own work. That's beautiful feedback. And I definitely get the sense that on the teams you work with, you make a focus across the board to create a culture of uplifting team members and providing opportunities for success. 
I do. Um, I at least so. I try, <laughs> try to. <laughs> I mean, I certainly try. It's a uh, you know, I, I love like I said, I love working in teams, and yes. as driven and motivated uh, as I am, I can't do anything alone uh, in terms of bringing new innovations to market or the other goals of uh, you know, that I that I have um, personally and and professionally. It really is a team sport and it's just honestly more fun to work in teams and the more that you empower the people that you work with, the more effective they're going to be, which in turn the team is going, going to be more effective and impactful and then you're going to succeed as well as the as that team leader so. Uh, like I said about mentorship there's very little downside to empowering right. people um, that you work with. So last question, you've done your 10 minutes of compartmentalizing for the day, you've closed the laptop. Who are you when you close the laptop? A little, uh, a little nugget of personality. Um, well, if you haven't been able to tell from my personality so far, I'm very passionate about certain things. Uh, but I'm also interested in a lot of things outside of work. So when I'm not working, uh, I'm gardening, I'm cooking, hiking, reading a book. Uh, going to hot yoga classes for some reason I find it enjoyable to do yoga in 100 degree Fahrenheit rooms so so that's something that I do outside of work and uh, I guess something different um, that I do on the side I design and renovate people's homes uh, particularly for um, single women um, that find it overwhelming to work with uh, contractors um, and figure all of that out um, and that's not something that I really um, sought out to do, uh, but rather because I've worked in construction, it just happened organically um, that I was approached by friends and then family and then friends of friends um, to help them design and renovate uh, spaces in their homes, which is just something I enjoy doing, honestly. So I, I do that uh, on the weekends. And it's definitely a fun contrast uh, to sitting in front of your computer in your home office at the time. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Savan, for hopping on the call with me. It's been a pleasure to pick your brain and learn together. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I, I really look forward to hearing the podcast and listening to future episodes and really appreciate that you're doing this. I'm a huge fan of, uh, of the podcast. So thank you. so much, Lauren and Savan. For me, I spoke with Felicia James. She is Associate Vice President and Asset Management Lead for Corolla Engineers, as well as Haley Goddard. She is Project Engineer and Young Professionals Facilitator for Corolla Engineers. We talked about a lot of things, so let's get right into it. So yeah, I have both James and Haley Goddard on the line here with me. Um, thank you guys for doing this and be, being a part of the call in our, our podcast this month. Very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting. Yeah, thanks for having us, Bob. Yeah, so I I, I wanted to kind of get an understanding about your career paths. Each of you, I, I, Haley, just kind of starting out and uh, and Felicia having a little more, more story with the industry. Um, could you talk about your different career paths and like how did you get into water to begin with and how did that translate to moving through the roles until to the current role that you have now do you want to start felicia <laughs> sure i will i will start that awkward silence there um <laughs> i would say career path uh, 
now having over 25 years kind of working in water and wastewater, but going all the way back to high school days is I've participated in a mathematics engineering science achievement kind of after school program. And that really excited the opportunities of, of jobs in engineering. At the time, I was pretty sure what I wanted to do was um, get into astronomy. And I ended up getting into Stanford University um, and going through their bachelor's of science program there. Um, went from astronomy to physics to mechanical engineering and then concluded that I really like water and that steered me to environmental and civil engineering. Um, when I got out of school, I worked for a consulting firm and then decided I wanted to get my master's degree. So I went over to the University of Texas at Austin, got my master's there, stayed in consulting, and then got a job at the US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. Um, worked there for a year in Washington, DC, and then transitioned, wanted to get back into really design work, ended up working for uh, Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission. So uh, utility experience. And then came and joined Corolla Engineers six years ago. So back into consulting. So kind of went uh, full circle there. Yeah. Tried all of the gamut before you realize, you know what I really am passionate about is this one thing. <laughs> really passionate about water. And yeah, that's what Corolla Cares uh, focuses is really water. So it's back there. Yeah, I think what's uh, what's interesting is just like how you went into this whole astronomy thing and like it, like I feel like that happens so often with people. They start out with their career, they get this degree in something, they go through the whole career path, they get a job, and then they like somehow totally switch around. They're not doing the thing that they got their degree in initially. <laughs> it's so common. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Haley? What uh, what, what's kind of what's been your path? How'd you get involved with Corolla Engineers? Yeah, I've had a, I've gone through that roundabout path too. Um, so I've now been at Corolla um, for five years. Um, and I've only ever been with Corolla, which has been a, a unique career path, but I'm really grateful for it. Um, so going, going back to high school, I, well, my dad was military, um, so I moved around a lot growing up. Um, but by the time I was a sophomore in high school, he had retired and we moved to a small rural town in Colorado near where he grew up. Um, so I went to a really small high school. I had 80 kids in my graduating class. Um, and it was a great experience going to a small high school, but kind of being in a rural community and having that small high school, you know, with limited funding, limited resources. I had very limited exposure to the field of STEM. Um, I had a very limited understanding of like what engineering actually was. Um, my dad actually did go to college for electrical engineering, um, but then he became a fighter pilot in the Air Force and uh, never really used it. Um, so, and then my mom um, was a teacher, um, but both of them just like hadn't used their undergraduate degrees directly. I was the oldest sibling in my family, so I was kind of navigating the college scene on my own. But basically, I went into college. Um, I had a knack for math and science. Like I remember winning like a, I think I remember winning a STEM award in high school, but I was like, cool. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> so I, um, I got into university of Colorado, um, up in Boulder near Denver. And, uh, I started out in the arts and sciences college, um, actually undeclared major. 
Um, so I did have like a class that first semester where I just worked with advisors and kind of got the chance to explore different majors, which was really cool. Um, and, you know, I felt fortunate to have that time, that half credit to spend. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was in arts and sciences and I, I had an interest. Um, I kind of, I guess, in high school, I did take a government class and I saw myself um, you know, with really strong passion for, you know, political science and wanting to go into policy or maybe law one day. Um, so in my exploratory classes, I was taking, you know, political science, international relations, psychology. Um, I ended up signing up for an environmental studies class because um, that kind of, I've always been passionate about the environment and, and was kind of interested in directing, a, you know, a career in law or policy towards something related to the environment. So I took environmental studies, really loved it, didn't quite click. So I remember I even took, I was taking uh, journalism. <laughs> I took some economics, just like all over the place. I took a lot of classes <laughs> my yeah. freshman year. And uh, eventually I was like, all right, environmental studies, like this makes sense, I'm gonna do it. I went home for the summer after my freshman year. I was, uh, I remember I was tutoring a friend. I was helping him study for a test in the Navy and I was like teaching him math problems. He's like, Haley, you're really good at this. Like, why aren't you doing something like this? And I was like, I don't know. And then I went to this crisis of like, what am I going to do with environmental studies? Like, I really want more hands-on. And that's kind of what clicked for me is like, I was eager to have a hands-on career dedicated to tackling issues like environmental justice and sustainability and, you know, environmental health and, and even public health for that matter. And all those complex ways that they interact, like that's what really I was passionate about, but I wanted to be able to walk in a room one day in my career with an actual tangible solution that, you know, people can't argue against, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. then I was like, okay, yeah. engineering, here we are. <laughs> Everything I did not want to be, I'm back to it. I remember you're like scrolling through the engineering college page and all of a sudden I saw environmental engineering and I didn't know that existed, but I saw environment <laughs> and I was like, okay, engineering hands-on. I was like, that must be it. So I dropped all my classes, got on oh waiting God. lists for like physics and chemistry and calc. Um, to, and so my first semester I was taking all those prereqs, got into the engineering college and then, you know, put my head to it. And, uh, I still was able to finish the degree track within four years <laughs> with like wow. 60 extra credits in science wow. <laughs> 30, I think it was. So it was crazy, but, um, I realized I was really lucky that like, I had no idea what environmental engineering was. I don't think I figured it out until the end of my sophomore year when I was already in it <laughs> mm -hmm. after dropping everything. And, uh, it, it was so cool because after all of that, it was really the perfect match for my passions and my goals and my interests. And uh, that's what really what motivated me to finish um, within four years. Um, and I think that was really lucky. Um, so then through that, and then here I was like going into my senior year of college, scrambling to get an engineering degree. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I need an internship. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? I have no experience. Um, and this is what I tell young freshmen all the time, or, you know, students all the time is networking is everything. And, and it's, the silliest thing. So I, for my 21st birthday, my dad took me with him to Boston. Um, he wrote crew and, uh, for his, his university team. And as an alumni, one of the other guys on his team was a vice president at Suez, um, which is a utility water utility company. And, you know, just talking to him, I was like, Hey, like I'm in water. I, I'm trying to get experience. And him and his wife were like, we really like you. We'll get you a job. 
And so two weeks later, I had a internship lined up in New York. <laughs> so I moved to New York uh, for a summer, not the city, little rural town girl was afraid of the city. I was outside of the utility on the other side of the river. I went one weekend into the city because I was so, so afraid of it. <laughs> and uh, my summer internship was uh, flushing toilets. I joke about this a lot too. Um, we were doing a program for Suez um, measuring like water use for that utility and assessing, you know, if the you know, county invested in water efficient fixtures and all their buildings, what would be the like economic return? It was really cool, like to pitch, <laughs> but really I was walking around flushing toilets and timing how long it took. <laughs> but then I was able to use that experience and the, you know, I was still working in a utility. So I got to shadow and like build my network and uh, that same networking connection that got me the internship flushing toilets. Um, got me my connection at Corolla, um, working with their private sector group. So focusing on um, industrial clients, Native American clients, just really unique projects, um, different than like public sector municipal. Um, so Corolla brought me into that group and uh, I, I got to get a lot of experience doing industrial work. Um, I started in Phoenix for a year, then relocated to San Diego and I was there for three years, then doing municipal work, but then traveling for the industrial plants as well. Um, and then they moved me up to Boise. And so I've now been in Boise, Idaho for a year, um, working with, um, we have engineers in Idaho that focus on reverse osmosis, like mm-hmm. specialist. Um, so I'm learning from them as a mentorship opportunity as a young professional, um, kind of designing RO plants across the country, which has been really cool. And so yeah. that's been my whirlwind and now it all makes sense, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, long like- story. Sorry. Yeah. For- no, no. I mean, I, I think that it's important to showcase that, like that transition from the student to the career path, because a lot of people look at just the career path of of things. But like knowing that no, your story probably resonates with a lot of people who just don't know what the heck they want to do at all. And like your your proof that like, hey, you can go in not knowing and come out on top. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So. <laughs> no, I really I. I laugh when anyone asks me about my career path. Cause I was like, I had no, I just remember talking to a friend and he was like, do you know what environmental engineering is? Like after I had dropped all my classes and he, I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> Here I go. Yeah. But, uh, so it has environment in it. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Caution so, to the wind and it all worked out. Well, I, mean, I guess one of the questions I, I wanted to ask too was kind of about any barriers that you, that either of you ran into over the course of your career. What were, what were any of those like initial hurdles that you ran into and what were some of the ways that you overcame them? I guess I'll start with you, Felicia. Just were, were there certain barriers at different points or was it kind of the same barrier multiple times? What did you guys, what, or did you not run into many barriers at all? You know, I'd say it's a little bit of both. So um, at the college level and then the career level, kind of two different contexts. At the college level, I'd say the, the biggest barrier for me was feeling like I belonged in that environment that I was coming in, I was qualified, I could really do this. And so having that confidence, um, because engineering is hard, not not gonna sugarcoat it there. And um, being in an environment where I always felt like I was maybe a little bit behind the the curve, Um, you know, there must be some resources I'm missing, you know, some preparation I didn't have, and then just working through that then getting out into kind of the work, you know, having accomplished all that, got the degrees, you know, finished there, got my my first jobs and moved around there. 
Um, again, I think the biggest thing in uh, what Haley was talking about, I think really stood out, was the, that kind of being brave moment of, I'm just going to jump out there and do that. So having that confidence and um, just, you know, sense of self in going out there. I think for me, it was, you know, early in my career and being young and being female and, you know, not necessarily being heard all the time, you know, being in a conversation and having everyone talking and coming at it with a good idea, but it kind of had to go around the room and someone else would repeat something I had said. And then all of a sudden it was, it was heard. So at some point, you know, kind of maturing and getting, getting to the point where I could stand up and speak up and, um, you know, and feel like I really had a, a, a place in the conversation and do that. So that, that was kind of some of the things I had to to learn and grow through uh, over my career. But now I don't have a problem speaking up and, uh, you know, giving my opinion and kind of, you know, knowing that I have something to bring to the table and part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that the confidence thing I feel like is a, uh, that's a common thread, I think, with any new employee already, but then having these added complexities of what of, of your experience added onto it create cre makes the confidence even harder to come through, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. and it, it's just really helpful to, you know, getting to the point where, you know, I have the experience, I have knowledge, I have good ideas to bring to the table, and then just saying it's okay to do this and being able to take those risks and jump out there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Haley just going straight into like I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna do it. What it's like from that perspective of like having just this co like confidence or naivety, whatever, whichever you yeah. choose to say it, it would be. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. well, Blusha reminded me of the experience in college. I kind of like forgot about it, but you know, because I, I preach how important a network is, and it's it's funny because I remember being in college. I never, I mean, I was so lucky that I got that connection through my dad and his alumni network, but I never went to like, the career fairs or networking events in college because I was afraid, like with my resume of like, you know, trying to scramble to get and build an engineering resume just with my coursework, I, I didn't feel qualified to like speak to engineers or even build a network. And I also really struggled, a huge insecurity that I carried all through, you know, applying for college because I didn't get into the colleges I originally applied for, even though I love CU and would not have changed that now. And then through college, I was trying to find my career, uh, my degree. And then even now in my career path, even though I'm very well supported, I've always been insecure about I'm a very passionate learner. I want to learn everything. If that wasn't obvious <laughs> what I did in like college, but um, I, I've, I've come to view that as a strength. You know, I'm a very dynamic learner and, and I carry a very well-rounded skill set. but it, the insecurity is like, I have a hard time like um, articulating what I want to accomplish, you know? And, and, and that fear of like, you know, being pigeonholed, like, I have a hard time articulating what I want to accomplish, but I don't want to be pigeonholed. And sometimes I, you know, catch myself, <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's hard. That's been a hard thing for me to navigate. So I remember that um, in college when I was trying to build those networks. Um, the other big barrier that I encountered that, again, it took me a while to remember this, but um, I remember during my internship, um, you know, I'm working in a utility and, uh, you know, this, this older gentleman, he was very, you know, more experienced. He was very well-intentioned. Like we had a close like mentorship relationship, but I remember one day toward the end of my 
internship, like we were just walking around a plant and he said, Haley, I want to tell you something. And I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I, I'm trying to say it to help you. But he, he said, we didn't hire you to be bubbly and like laughing all the time. Like we hired you to think. And, and that was, again, he meant it. Like he was well-intentioned. And I think he was trying to help me come across as more confident. But that was really like that. I mean, it's, it stuck with me because like I, and that was, I am a very bubbly person. I'm a huge people person. That was originally why I didn't want to become an engineer because I didn't feel like I would fit into that stereotypical mold of an engineer. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes that's still in the back of my head. You know, I, I do tend mm-hmm. to laugh <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm the same I, way, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, yeah, I have the nervous laugh tick, I guess, but I am a very competent engineer. I have important things to say, you know, I can command a team and manage a team very well. And uh, I, but I also feel like I, it's my bubbliness is also a strength. And I know people, my mentor, the Corolla really recognize that too, is like, I, when I'm leading a team, you know, I also relate to my team members and like, they relate to me. I think I, I help them feel more comfortable around me. You know, I connect to clients better because of my bubbly personality. I'm not just like at a desk all the time. Like I need that engagement. So, you know, he was trying to help me, but I've kind of come around to embracing it as a strength um, while still trying to practice confidence. You know, that's, that's yeah. a very important thing. Yeah. Well, th- there's, a, there's a strong line. There's like a fine line between um, b- between command, like commanding some type of authority and like not re- and not compromising on your personality because that's just part of like, it sounds, this is just part of your personality. I just am this kind of person and that's the kind of person I am in the workplace as well. And if you don't like it, like, I'm sorry, but that's just who, that's me, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think there just has to be acceptance that like different people are different kinds of people. It, you're not, like like you said, there's this stereotype of the engineer who's just very, very quiet, very reserved and not very, very sociable. But like, that's not every engineer. There are plenty of really sociable engineers out there. Yeah. And I think that's what makes us a powerful industry is having a collection of like dynamic personalities. Like, yes, we need the people who are more quiet and in the details, but we also need the people that are bubbly and outgoing and connect to the people because, you know, especially in like civil engineering, you know, the world of water, you know, we're building communities, like we're providing water, like you have to interact with people, you have to have them understand what you're doing. And so you need that dynamic personality. And like, that's what I love you know, seeing in our industry and kind of preaching, you know, in our STEM outreach program, I always like preach that to the kids. I'm like, there's a spot for you in this industry, mm-hmm. no matter who you think you are. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's a yeah. community building. Like that's what engineering is. So. Yeah. Did you have more you wanted to add on that, Felicia? It looked like you had something you were looking Yeah, I did. I was just going to say, I think one of the things that surprised me or was an eye opener, you know, as I've navigated through the the kind of my, my career path was how many different types of people, um, you, you know, Haley was talking about, you know, the stereotypical engineer. And I think what was more surprising is there isn't really one definition and all the skill sets we bring in communication is, is such a key component, I think, especially in this kind of a civil municipal environment where we are dealing with communities and have to go to council meetings and stand up and, you know, understanding politics and the importance of that. And then on the flip side is really being able to have people who can dive deep into the numbers and the analysis and really talk about, you know, some heavy, complex topics, but just so many different varieties of styles of, um, of people and engagement 
and we work in teams a lot. So you really need uh, need that kind of diversity of approach in that um, in that environment. So yeah, mm-hmm. no no stereotypical engineers. There's yeah. some. They're not the, but they're not necessarily the norm. <laughs> and they're yeah. not bad. I still love them. No, no, we need, need, as you said, we need, we need everybody coming to the table. So it's great. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue to talking about diversity initiatives and getting more women and women in the industry and that type of thing. Um, what, what, how do you feel the industry can better cater to this? I, I, Haley, I wanted to start with you since you kind of work with this young professional stuff, you're doing young professional mentoring and whatnot. Um, what are the ty- types of things that you see from that angle that could be done better to entice more young women and just diverse, a diversity of hiring in general? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had the perfect solution, but it does help to kind of like <laughs> break it down into like what I've experienced and like the value I see, man, I wish I had the solution. Um, I, I mean, I think Corolla is working on this too. From, from my experience, my level mentorship is huge. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's helping, you know, whether you're an entry level or even working with a student in an internship, like I would love to see, like, I'd love the chance to work with more interns, (laughs) um, honestly. Um, but regardless of the entry level or interns, um, the mentorship is so important because it goes back to that confidence thing, you know, like, they're, they're gaining the knowledge they need, like in their coursework, but they really need that confidence. And I really think it, it, like you almost need having somebody and like hearing their story about their career path to like recognize bits of yourself and and recognize the value in those bits of yourself to then like be able to initiate that confidence um, and, and kind of be able to start articulating what you can accomplish, you know, and it helps you externally, but also internally. So that mentorship is just huge. Just, and, and mentorship, I say it, it can be as simple as just like I, my biggest value in mentorship that I've experienced is just hearing somebody's story. Like, you know, they, a mentor doesn't have to come in and provide like the perfect advice. Like they just need to share their story. Like when I'm pursuing mentors, I just want to hear their career path. Like, I just want to see that example that I can kind of fit myself into. Um, so that's that's my answer mentorship yeah. and just yeah. sharing your story um is the biggest thing yeah how about you felicia what are what 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 are your thoughts kind of coming from a higher level with vice president and status and like looking at the industry from that angle what do you, what do you kind of see and yeah what type of role do you think you could take i think there are there are two sides so you know the the context of you know where i am now is is more engineering focused but when i think more broadly about um, the water and wastewater sector and even going back to when i worked at a utility one of the things that um i really think we can improve is how we market the water and wastewater industry so that people know about it as a viable option you know, Haley talked about, you know, going through um, the different um, college courses and then coming, uh, you know, almost by accident, environmental engineering didn't didn't really know about it. You know, when I was in school and you know, I said, what's an engineer? An engineer builds buildings and builds roads. Like, oh, those 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 aren't really what I'm interested in. Stars and water. That was my that was my focus. So I didn't see where that was an option. But, you know, after working at a utility, also, there are so many um, paths to entry into the water and wastewater industry, and they don't all require a bachelor's or a master's degree in engineering. There are a lot of ways to get there. So I really think we need to um, market the, the industry, you know, do outreach to high schools at community colleges and organizations that are supporting people who are re-entering the workforce or who are having 
and career changes later in life. Um, I remember having a student who, when I was in my 20s, they were in their 40s and just getting an engineering degree at that time. So really, there, there are just so many options and you know, you can come at this and, you know, really be a value to the water and wastewater industry kind of at any point in your in your career. Um, then the other things we need to do is look at the job description and how it's worded. And you know, is it really current and reflective of what that job is today? Because what it was even 20 years ago is really different from how things are, are working now. I'd say there's a lot more tech um, computer based technology and data-driven um, components of the work. And so we wanna make sure that, you know, that information is in there and that the prerequisites to a job are, um, what paths do people have to actually earn those prerequisites? You know, um, you know, if you need the three to five years experience, but you aren't hiring any, any entry level, how is anyone gonna get that three to five year? Maybe you could, have someone in the one to two year, knowing that in two years, they actually will qualify for that three to five. Um, and so we just, you know, rethink how we are, you know, looking at hiring, knowing that, especially with COVID, oh, there's a lot of shifting in the types of jobs people have. And I'd say that's an opportunity for us to, um, to gain employees who are coming from other industries um, and go from there. So yeah, we just need to market more. Yeah. I, your point about diversity of jobs is so, like, it hits home for me really hard because every year with our Young Professionals program, we always end up with this super eclectic group of 10 young professionals with almost all of them have completely different titles. Like, you still need marketers, you still need communications people, you need journalists like myself, you need engineers like you guys. Like, they're, like every job that you could possibly need still fits within the water industry because they're all necessary. Yes. Um, and I think that that's just not, that it's not being told broad enough for sure. And then to your other point, we need to highlight some of these jobs that don't require a an associate's degree or bachelor's degree because the utilities need to hire these people to run these things and they may just need a license and they provide those paths toward that licensing, toward the exam uh, teaching and all that. Um, exactly. So yeah, all of your points like, oh man, hits home really, really hard. <laughs> um, we, we don't have too much time left. So my last question was, uh, what, what advice do you have for women entering the industry or if you wanted to open it up more broadly, just about people getting into the industry in general? Sure, I'll um, start, you know, I think <laughs> eye contact. Uh, for me, it's, you know, that confidence and, you know, ha having within yourself, telling yourself you really do belong in this in this space and in this job and you know from any background i think we need to be as open as we can um, because we are trying to to bring people into the industry how about you Heather? yeah and uh, yeah i think i've i've hit on this a couple of times um just from my experience but you know i would say the quote unquote secret to my career has been you know and Bush said this too like putting myself out there to initiate and build relationships and then saying yes um, to opportunities that have come. You know, I haven't been afraid to move and relocate for a job, you know, when, while I have that flexibility to do so, I know that's not always the case for people. Um, but even, I guess, just saying yes, like I wish I would have gone to more <laughs> networking <laughs> events. Um, you know, I would say, yeah, the most 
fulfilling, the most distinguishing, the most motivating thing you can do for yourself in your career is to, to build relationships, um, to hear other people's stories, um, to relate to them, you know, to, to raise them up. And, and, you know, in that process too, you know, you kind of discover your own confidence, your own value. Um, networking is just huge. So yeah. we're all about relationships. <clears throat> Totally. I mean, I, I wouldn't have my job before for uh, relationships I made in college, like a, literally just a college friend of mine. And I ended up with a job two two weeks later. It was amazing. Um, so anyway, thank you, guys. I appreciate all the time that you spent with me. I, I'm sure we could go on for much longer, <laughs> too, if we really wanted to. But uh, got to cut ourselves a little bit short today. But thank you so much. I appreciate the, the talk. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. This is great. Thanks, Bob. So good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you, too. Thank you so much for those interviews, Mariana, Sivan, Felicia, and Haley. Always a great opportunity to learn from other inspiring women in the water sector about their journeys. And we thank our listeners for joining us. Now on to a little bit of housekeeping as we wrap up today's episode. For water quality products, want to let you know that we are now accepting nominations for our industry icon award program. Are you or someone you know an industry professional who's shaped and changed the industry? Submit your nominations at wqpmag.com backslash nominations by January 1st for the opportunity to be featured by us. And next, we wanted to let you know Bob had a little bit of technical difficulty today. So here's his housekeeping details for this episode. He wanted to remind you to watch the WWD Top Project videos at bit.ly backslash 2021 WWD Top Projects for some in-depth coverage of those top projects. Over to you, Katie. And finally, registration is now open for the final session in the 2021 SWS webinar series. At 1 p.m. on December 16th, we are closing out this year's series with a presentation on erosion control and vegetation. You can register for free at bit.ly backslash SWS web erosion. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and really anywhere you can get podcasts. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.